Welcome to the You Are Loved podcast. My name's Liv Downing. I'm a psychologist and meditation teacher. And my vision for this podcast is to provide all of us with different access points to this sense of coming home, this sense of, of connection and belonging. You Are Loved is the title of my forthcoming children's book, which will be released at some point in the future, hopefully in 2022, but we'll see. And in it, I really explore the possibility that that sense of love and connection is always available to us. And then I offer meditation as a way for us to experience that. I also know that meditation is not necessarily for everybody. So over these series of podcast interviews, I'm wanting to provide different ways for all of us to to come home, to sense this feeling of being loved, no matter what wonderful life throws at us. So thank you so much for joining me and my beautiful guests. And I look forward to sharing this series with you. Here we are. Episode 10 of the You I Love podcast. In this episode, I interview and chat with the gorgeous Anna Davies, and you'll hear a little bit about her professional and personal expertise and experience in our chat. But I just wanted to share with you a few kind of headlines from our discussion. Um, so the topic of the discussion is self-compassion. And Anna shares with us some amazingly practical and easily accessible techniques so that we can start to bring this concept of self-compassion, this idea of self-compassion out of theory and into practice. She talks about the difference between self-criticism and self-pity and that perhaps they sit at opposite ends of the same spectrum and maybe it's self-compassion that sits somewhere in the middle so that offers us an alternative or the middle way. She talks about our inner critic and why we have one as most of us do and she also talks about the idea of common humanity or shared humanity, this capacity that we have to remember one thing we so easily forget, which is that we are not alone in our suffering, even though it often feels that way. She shares a little bit around the power of physical touch in healing and creating safety and and offers this as a tool for us to learn to self-regulate. So we no longer need to rely as much on other people to settle our nervous system. She shares a really cool brain hack to help us to cultivate self-compassion, as well as the breath as a soothing support tool for us. We do a wonderful experiment with our hands. So make sure while you're listening to this, you're not driving because, um, you won't be able to do the hand experiment. Of course, you can pause the podcast and pull over the car and, and do it. And we share um, lots of conversation around some wonderful other researchers and experts in the area. So I'll make sure that I link um, all of their details in the show notes so that you know who these people are. And finally, she sums up by talking a little bit about the impact of self-criticism and self-pity on our resilience and our capacity to build a growth mindset. So if you're like me, um, you've found it hard to get your head, heart and body around the idea of self-compassion, um, I really hope that you get some practical tips and advice from this conversation with the wonderful Anna Davies as 
you know what, self-compassion for me has been one of the most profound tools that has created much more safety and wisdom within myself. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Anna Davies, it's so lovely to have you here with us on the You I Love podcast. Thank you so much for coming along. Thank you so much for having me, Liv. I feel really honoured to be here. So just as we kick off, I'd love to hear, Anna, a little bit about what you do professionally and, and why you do it. Yeah, sure. So I'm a psychologist. I was trained as a counselling psychologist. Um, I've been working for 10 years, um, working with individuals, um, mainly adults, um, you know, experiencing the human experience. I sort of say I don't really work with diagnoses I work with human beings and human beings are all experiencing you know the full array of the human experience including anxiety stress depression trauma um, and yeah really just focus on meeting people where they're at and allowing people to find that sense of connection with themselves acceptance with where they're at love for themselves building that compassionate relationship which is something that doesn't come that naturally to most of us particularly in the western world um yeah so I've been working as a psychologist for the last 10 years and also in that time been working as a mindfulness and meditation teacher so sharing this work in groups which I really really love I sort of you know a couple of years into working as a psychologist I was finding myself teaching the same thing to all of my clients and I was like well, why don't why don't I do this in a group um let more people experience it um so I love I love teaching meditation I love sharing mindfulness and meditation with people I just think it's I feel and know and experience it to be so valuable and supportive for us human beings on this journey of life yeah. Um, yeah and also teach a bit of yoga on the side as well so yeah really love that mind body heart connection that all all three of those things allow. yeah very holistic beautiful and so what I mean the topic you've touched on is really the topic of focus for our session today which is around self-compassion and supporting Mm -hmm. us to cultivate that sense of love and connection with ourselves and for me personally that has definitely been one of the most transformative proceeds I guess or tools or methods to support me to manage my own mental health on on my journey um you know and to be honest with you Anna, I didn't even know that it was allowed I didn't even know that you're allowed to have a relationship with yourself and let alone like yourself um so I would I would love to hear a little bit about what you know what is self-compassion what does it mean because it can sound quite wishy-washy tell us a bit about how you talk about self-compassion with your clients yeah well self-compassion is really I think the definition that has been put out there what self-compassion is or what compassion is compassion is the desire for somebody to be free from suffering so self-compassion is really the desire for ourselves to be free from free from suffering And in doing that, really sort of drawing upon our natural human instinct, which is to care for others, care for those who are needing that care, um, to offer kindness, gentleness, softness, tenderness, um, 
you know, it's it's innate in us. You know, that mother-child relationship is so innate. We all have the capacity for compassion. But what is not so, um, what doesn't come so naturally to a lot of us is to actually share it with ourselves. So mm-hmm. self-compassion is really learning to apply that quality of compassion that we so readily and easily share with our loved ones when they're going through a hard time with ourselves. Yeah. And in your experience, because I know, as you said, you've worked with a lot of individuals and a lot of groups, what is it that gets in the way? Why don't we do this, especially in the, in the Western cultures, as you said? Well, I think, yeah, you, you put it beautifully, live in your own experience. You didn't know you were allowed. And I think that's the experience of many people. You know, it's seen as being self-indulgent or, or being kind of tied up with self-pity. And it's actually very different to self-pity self you know self-pity is more really wallowing in, in our hardness in what's feeling difficult and getting lost in the stories and rumination over that and you know something I have to check in myself you know the poor me kind of story the victim experience self-compassion is different to that it's really just responding like you would to a friend with kindness with care with friendliness mm. um, so I also think what gets in the way is our tendency towards self-criticism. So it's almost like we've got these two sides. There's the there's the self-pity on one side, which is like, oh, poor me, getting really lost in it. And then there's the self-criticism on the other side, which is, you know, that harsh judgment that we often have towards ourselves, um, you know, when we're feeling something hard. You shouldn't be feeling this way, you know, come on, suck it up. Yeah, strong or, you know, self-criticism, which might be blaming us for experiencing what we're experiencing. Um, And I think, unfortunately, that's kind of part of how we've evolved as human beings. We've evolved to have this inner critic to keep us safe because if you think about it, you know, we've come from these sort of tribal communities and if there's any chance that we, you know, make a mistake or put a foot wrong or do something to hurt others or offend others, you know, we'll get kicked out of the tribe. So the self-criticism is kind of like this, let's make sure that we're following all the rules, we're doing all the right things. And it's, it's that, you know, tendency we have to be quite harsh and judgmental for us as a way of kind of tricking us into feeling like we're safe, but it actually, we, we don't feel very safe when we're being critical of ourselves. Yes, I love that you framed it that way because, it I mean, it makes so much sense that it's its part of our nature, it's part of who we are, and it's the, the goal is to keep us safe and the goal is to be helpful. But I guess what what happens for many of us is we let it run away. We let it, we let it just own us and kind of um, steer the bus, whereas we have this other whole part of our human capacity, which is this compassion part, that unless we know about it, unless someone kind of says, hang on, did you know that this is allowed? Yeah. It's not even, it doesn't become developed. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Whereas for most of us, including myself, you know, I came to self-compassion with a very um, uh, experienced inner critic or very kind of dominating inner critic that I was needing to learn to 
um, shift that relationship and allow that part of me to be less dominant and the compassionate part of me to firstly be reignited <laughs> from a yep. place that, you know, sort of wasn't really able to access it at all mm. and then start to allow that part of me to be a little bit more accessible and a little bit more dominant. Mm. My own experience, yeah. I'll never forget when I first started working with self-compassion, a really clear memory is, um, I, so it was when I had two very little kids mm -hmm. and one was yelling and having a tantrum and I felt quite overwhelmed and quite, you know, stressed out of my head. And I remember standing in front of the fridge, it's very a very clear memory and actually giving myself a hug and saying you know no wonder you feel this is a lot this is two little kids screaming you know there's millions of other things happening and something magical happened my whole nervous system started to settle and I just in that moment I thought wow what an incredible tool that we can show ourselves as you said the loving care that we would save for a friend or someone we love Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's such a beautiful experience. And that's really like, that is what self-compassion is. It's when you're having a moment that just feels so hard and so overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I came into this work as well through my experience of being a new mum with a newborn and just feeling so overwhelmed at, you know, multiple times. And just when I learned about this, it was that way of going, yeah, this is what you're feeling and it's okay that you feel this way. There are others that are feeling this too. And whether it's the experience of being a mum or whether it's whatever experience it is that you're having, this feels like a really powerful thing for me to always remember that you're not alone in this experience. This is this moment that you're having right now is being shared by someone else mm. somewhere on the planet in this very moment and that you're not alone and that, yeah, offering that inner hug or that physical hug that you sort of just described there, hugging yourself. It's like yeah. being hugged by someone else. And we know that when we receive by a hug by someone else, we feel safe, we feel comforted, we feel loved. Um, You've touched on a really interesting point there, which is that concept of that shared human experience. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's something that Kristen Neff, who is a, one of the top researchers in this area, is she, which, which, is she connected with the university? Um, I think she is. I can't remember which university. Can't remember which one. But for, for listeners, she if you Google Kristen Neff, yeah. uh, she's got an amazing website with tons of research and different um, resources. But I know she talks about that as one of her kind of the core components of self-compassion. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So there's a really beautiful practice that I teach, you know, everyone that I'm teaching or sharing self-compassion with. It's a three- step process yeah that she um talks about which is called she calls it the self-compassion break and the first step share it with us, share it with us. we'd love okay. to learn okay yeah. beautiful so the first step in the self-compassion break is you know when we're experiencing something difficult or hard you know firstly we have to actually acknowledge what we're feeling so the first step is actually mindfulness bring mindfulness to what is actually going on and so that she says that can be this moment of saying to yourself ouch this hurts oh, right now yeah um or I just like to you know say something simple like this feels hard right now so you're just really turning towards yourself and acknowledging what is actually here what's the experience that you're having right now and then the second step of the self-compassion break is to acknowledge our common humanity 
So like we just spoke about, like this is part of my shared human experience. This is part of my common humanity. This connects me to others. The fact that I'm feeling this right now um, is, yeah, my connection to my fellow human beings. And I can imagine from a neurological perspective that shifts on, that switches on some of those mirror neurons and it shifts us out of the old parts of our brain, the default mode network into the active mode network, into that compassion network. So we're having physiological or we're creating physiological changes yeah. for ourselves that just yeah. that concept of I'm part of something bigger than me. You know, yeah. we get so caught up in our own little story, don't we? For sure. And when we're, you know, also part of that process that we often go into is often feeling very isolated and very alone, which is also really scary, also kind of triggers that sense of not feeling safe. Yeah. Um, so when we can remember that this is part of my shared humanity, others are experiencing this right now, it shifts from that experience of feeling isolated and alone to feeling shared feeling connected and yes allows us to feel more safe so it's our nervous system a little bit more into that parasympathetic um rest and digest state beautiful okay i cut you off so and then okay yeah and then the third step is offering kindness to ourselves so and kindness there's so many beautiful ways that we can do that you've just mentioned one you know a self-hug um physical touch you know, if you think about babies, babies respond so powerfully to physical touch. They need to be held in order to feel safe and loved. And that's our natural inclination. Um, you know, if you see someone who's, that you're close to that's struggling, you want to give them a hug. It's our natural inclination. You know, we're social beings. So, yeah, a self-hug or hand on the heart um, or some other sort of soothing touch. Some people respond better to, yeah, just a just gentle hand on your on your arm. Um, research has also showed that soothing soft vocalization, um, we also respond really well to that as really calming and really comforting. So even just saying in a really soft, soothing tone to yourself, like you would to a friend, you know, something like, I care about you right now, or I care about this suffering right now. Um, or I've got a few phrases that I got from somewhere. I don't remember where. It might be Kristen Neff. It might have been Pema Chodron. But I like to say, um, I see you. I hear you. I'm here with you. And I care for you. Mm. Just in that really soft, soothing tone. And it's like, um, it's like receiving those words from someone that really cares for you, but you're doing it for yourself. Yeah. And I guess it's, um, you know, we, we so often rely on others to co-regulate our nervous system for us, right? We, you know, we really, and, and while we are social beings, as you've said, and while relationships are incredibly important, and in fact, that's what part of this podcast it's about, is about. It's about connection with others, but it, the other part is connection to self. And what an incredible um, capacity that we all have to self-regulate in that way to actually become that trusted advisor, become that that friend, that support, and that, you know, even if our external relationships are unsatisfying, because for some of us they are, we can actually really cultivate this 
internally this befriending of our own experience of course and you know also if you're experiencing a huge amount of shame around what you're experiencing it's harder for people to actually reach out and receive that support even if it is available to them so it's something that you can do for yourself to as you said co-regulate and calm your nervous system and allow you to feel comforted Mm. Um, something else I want to say there that for some people even going through that process and getting to that third step of then offering kindness to yourself can still feel really really challenging Um, especially if it hasn't been modeled to you or if your conditioning is to be very fused with that inner critic um, and that that feels like that's the only way. Um, So what I sometimes invite is imagining your inner child. So imagining a child version of you and sometimes that can feel more accessible. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're imagining, you know, offering that kindness to a child, you know, it might feel easier to ignite those feelings of kindness and compassion. Mm. Or another way of doing it is imagining your future self, which is one of my favourites. So imagine like a future Anna who's well past this current day challenge and she's got so much wisdom and she's also just got so much care and um, kindness and love and respect for, you know, the person that I am here because she knows that I'll get through it. And imagining her saying those words or what would she say? What are the words that she would say? Um, And then if that also doesn't feel accessible, then it can be really beautiful to imagine either somebody who is in your life who is sort of like this figure of compassion and care and kindness or someone imagined, you know, you can imagine like whatever, like a guardian angel type figure or for some people it's like their pet um or some people that might be you know grandmother figure that's long gone but you still can connect with that image of that person or, mm. um, so it's finding some connection to a compassionate being whether it's yourself or somebody else that can offer those words of kindness I love that you called that out because I think for many of us, when we first come to this work, it can feel really plastic and artificial and tricky. And then we think we're doing it wrong or we think we can't do it. And, you know, we're broken and it's, this is this, I don't have this capacity. So I love that you've just offered us a few other approaches because, you know, I remember when I first started practicing loving kindness meditation, it didn't feel you know, I didn't get the rush of connection. I didn't get the buzz and it was, it all, it all felt a little bit um, kind of staged, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, I guess it's about finding our own path, isn't it? And what works best. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I listened to a really interesting talk a little while ago by Kelly McGonigal, who's Mm -hmm. a psychologist, does a lot of research as well. Um, And she was speaking about the importance of that, because, and I'm possibly not going to do full justice to this information, (laughs) but I'm going to do my best. Um, So, you know, we naturally have the inclination to care for others. It's part of our, you know, we're social beings. So when we see another person in distress, it triggers, as you said, the mirror neurons, we feel that empathy, we feel essentially what they feel and we feel that feeling in our body. And then we naturally have the social, she referred to as like the social cognitive impulse, I guess, to go to their aid in some way. Mm. 
when it's ourselves and when we sense that we are in distress, um, we feel what we feel, that gets triggered. But then we go into the self-referential thinking, which is the an analyzing, why do I feel this way? Um, what's happened? So we might go into rumination or we might go into criticism or I shouldn't feel this way. And mm. so it's really hard when we're in that self-referential thinking to respond with compassion. So she says it's almost like we're tricking our brain <laughs> into thinking that we're being compassionate to someone else, but actually being compassionate to ourselves. So that's why I really like that future self or imagining your child. It's like there's a, a relationship. Um, your future self is imagining being compassionate to your current self or your current self is imagining being compassionate to your child self or you're imagining what your best friend would say to you. There's a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we are less likely to go into that self-referential thinking or criticism or rumination and more likely to just spontaneously go into that natural compassionate response. I love it. I love brain hacks. I love that there's, <laughs> there's options for us to trick ourselves yeah. in experiencing something that may not come. Well, for many of us, it doesn't come naturally. It, it, it can take work and, and practice. Yeah. So what other ways can we practice and cultivate this capacity? So you've shared the three-step, what did Kristen Neff call it? Self-compassion oh, compassion break? So you've yeah. shared that. And I guess, would that be something that we might practice um, uh, both when we're in distress and then also maybe as a daily practice that we, so we can tone those muscles of, of self-compassion? Yeah, I think so. I think it's so powerful to practice it when you're in distress and practicing it in different kind of degrees of stress. So you're not just going to go to your 10 out of 10 and practice there you know you might start with something milder um but into other ways that we can cultivate this quality um i really love using the breath as a source of comfort and support so even as a regular daily practice you know you might do a mindfulness of breath practice but Kristen neff in her program has a meditation called the affectionate breathing meditation and i've sort of um, you know, taken inspiration from that and done my own guided meditations with that, where you're really just practicing allowing your breath to be this soft, soothing, comforting presence that is always available to you. Um, there's also really beautiful ways that you can tailor a body scan meditation, for example, to be a compassionate body scan. So as you're scanning each part of your body, um, Tara Brach uses this a lot in her meditations. You sort of bring this inner smile and it's like this inner smile of kindness, of thanks towards that part of your body, towards mm -hmm. that experience. And you're really just practicing being friends with yourself. It's like yeah. practicing bringing friendliness to your experiences so that that, again, is like training um, you're training that quality and that capacity so that when you are experiencing distress, you're already familiar with the soothing breath or you're already familiar with that sense of kindness and care for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I often say to people who have have challenges learning to meditate, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to meditate in a moment of distress. And I'll often say to them, 
learning to meditate when you're in distress is like trying to learn to swim when you're drowning. Mm-hmm. And actually we need to train for this stuff. You know, we need to practice it when we're not overwhelmed or in the depths of despair and um, and really kind of weave it into the everyday moments of our life of course of course and yeah that's a a really beautiful point there Liv and it's not just about the meditations it's about just you know maybe you just take a few slow soothing breaths every now and then throughout your day and that's your practice or maybe practice even just every now and then putting your hand on your heart and acknowledging what's there yeah to be aware of starting to cultivate this quality um there's a really lovely practice that I also love, um, which comes from Kristen Neff's mindful, mindful self-compassion program is what it's called. So she set that up with uh, another psychologist, Chris Germer. Um, and I'll do it with you now because it's a really lovely and I'll describe it so those who are listening can um, practice it as well. So if you just bring your two fists up, and clench your fists, so clench them really tight and just get a sense of what that feels like. Yep, How would you describe what you're feeling right now? Uh, there's heat and tension and tightness and discomfort. Yeah. My breast's shorter. Yeah, okay. All right. So now let's open the palms and just let them relax. So it's like you're just opening your palms out and letting your palms face up. How does that feel? It feels more open and inviting, Mm. calming, welcoming, Mm. available. Mm, Lovely. And now if you were to just place one hand or two over your heart, how does this feel? Oh, it feels supportive Mm. and grounding, Mm. loving. Beautiful. Yeah. So I really love this practice because it's such a, when you do it, you just have such a different experience and there's stuff happening in your brain and in your nervous system that's shifting and really the clenched fist is the example of, you know, resisting things, getting angry at ourselves, getting judgmental at ourselves when things feel hard, this shouldn't be happening yeah, really just that resistance of what is. And then the opening of the palms is the allowing. And that's the, yeah, this is here. I might not like that this is here. This might be feeling really hard right now, but this is here. So you're opening to the experience. You're allowing it to be here. You're letting go of the resistance or the judgment. And then the hands and the heart is, and can I be kind to myself while this is here? You know, rather than judging myself or getting into self-pity, can I actually just respond with kindness and comfort because this is here? Mm, I love that, Anna. And you know what I love also about it is that it is a felt experience. Mm. Because I think, you know, in a lot of the work that I, the one-on-one work that I do with clients, it's very easy to stay very cognitive and Mm. to talk about all this theory. I remember listening to Rick Hansen's um, podcast he does with his son and he, they did a, a series recently all about therapy and, and 
And the takeaway that they they had was that, you know, the risk is that we sit and talk a lot and people can get some benefit from discussion and insight and everything, but it's really about giving people a felt experience mm -hmm. and so that they can then access that felt experience in their everyday life. And that technique you've just shared is fantastic and I will be stealing that. And when I'm in the <laughs> clinic tomorrow, my clients will probably be experiencing it. Yes, right. Well, it is not mine. It's I have also stolen it. It's yeah. To be shared, yeah, absolutely, a beautiful one. Yeah. And I think also, like coming back to Rick Hansen, yeah, I love his work, and I know he often also talks about not just having an experience, but savoring an experience, and really almost imprinting it into our cellular body. And so, even when you're practicing self-compassion if you're having that moment of tenderness with yourself which might feel new or might feel like oh wow like this feels nice this feels new I haven't felt this really before for myself you know just let yourself savor it let yourself hang out there a little bit become really familiar with it so it starts to become it starts to get stored in your long-term memory yeah yeah because as Shauna Shapiro says whatever we practice grows stronger yeah. and so you know when we practice being self-critical and worrying and being hard on ourselves and fighting with reality that gets stronger and then if we practice the opposite that gets stronger and that's what I love about this work I love the choice that it brings us mm -hmm. you know it, we have options now we don't have to be trapped in our old way of of being and thinking and feeling yes Yes. So, you know, I love that you've given us those practical tools. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So just flicking all the way back to the beginning of our chat, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the resistance that people can feel when this work is first introduced to them. And we talked, a, you talked a little bit about the difference between self-pity and self-compassion. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget standing in front of a big room of about 200 corporates trying to teach this concept of self-compassion and I could see the skepticism on their face and I was probably a little well I was definitely much less experienced than I am now so I was possibly less elegant with the way I was teaching it but I remember one woman put up her hand she had a scowl on her face and she said to me so are you saying that you know if I make a mistake at work I should just let myself off the hook and let myself get away with it and just go and sit on the couch and eat pizza and I tried to kind of, you know, talk her around and tried to explain, no, that wouldn't be compassionate either. But what would you say to, you know, when someone says something like that, are you saying I just, you know, I make a mistake, I just let myself off the hook. I don't, I don't have to, um, you know, berate myself. What would you say to someone like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess maybe it could be helpful to ask like so what is what is the alternative to compassion because yeah letting yourself off the hook going and eating pizza on the couch it isn't probably that helpful either as you said you know and that maybe is a bit of that self-indulgence or self-pity which isn't self-compassion you know we've said self-compassion is noting and acknowledging what feels hard and being friends with yourself being kind to yourself going and eating pizza on the couch is probably not that kind to ourselves you know we wouldn't suggest that to our children because we know it's not good for them it's not good for us either um you know maybe giving yourself a little bit of a self-hug or going and talking to a colleague and talking about you know how could you know what help or support could you need could you have um with this work you know might be more compassionate yeah. but i think it's also really helpful to look at well, what's the alternative 
So if you're going to beat yourself up over this mistake that you've made, what happens? And I guess what often happens if we're being really critical or beat ourselves up over a mistake that we make, I know for me I get all tense. Yep. I um, become really closed off. There's also a, a lot more fear that's present. There's that fear of making mistakes in the future um, because, you know, there's such a huge punishment of this self-punishment that we're giving ourselves. So it does, the research has found that if we're not being compassionate to ourselves, you know, it's hard, we're less resilient and it's also harder for us to have that growth mindset of trying, figuring out what could work better next time, you know, taking the risk to ask for help from other people. Whereas when we're being compassionate, it's like, yeah, I know everyone makes mistakes. This is just one mistake that I've made. What can I do to support myself so that this doesn't happen again? Mm. It's a different response. We're not experiencing as much of that stress and that fear that comes with the self-criticism. Yeah, yeah, but we're not just sitting on the couch and giving up. So, dear Anna, we're coming to the end of our time together. Is there anything that I haven't asked you and I should have that you'd like to share? Oh, I mean, I'm sure there's so many things that we could we could explore. Um, I, one thing that is just jumping into my mind so it feels right to say it is just this um, famous story of the Dalai Lama being in this big room full of Western psychologists and um, teachers, Buddhist mindfulness teachers. I, I don't know when this happened. It might have been 10, 15, 20 years ago. And um, one of the teachers, the Western teachers, put their hand up and said, okay, so how about self-criticism? How do you work with that? And the Dalai Lama was just like, what? What? I have, what are you talking about? He had just had no understanding or concept of what self-criticism was. And then someone had to explain it to him. There were a few people like whispering, yeah, this is what self-criticism is. And it took him a while. And then he did, you know, in his Dalai Lama way, he just like laughs. It was like, ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Why, why, what is the point? What is the point of self-criticism? And I, I do just remind myself of that sometimes. It's just like taking on that Dalai Lama, like, like, <laughs> Don't need to like just just like go. This self criticism it's ridiculous. Like yeah. I'm not saying it's ridiculous in a like a shameful way or a putting it down, but it's just nice to know that there's some cultures in the world where it just doesn't exist. And isn't that interesting? And do, I mean, doesn't that point? I mean, you talked earlier about the inherent nature of it, but doesn't it point to the cultural impact on our psychology? Yes. And you know the the soup we're all swimming in. <laughs> Um, and this, the stories and the rules and the beliefs that we inherit from our not only our, um, our parental figures, but, you know, our schools, our media, our society in general. Mm -hmm. And that, wow, what an opportunity for us to kind of put our head out above the water and look around and say, oh, my gosh, there's another way. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to be swimming in this anymore. I don't have to be swimming in this foggy soup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, that's a beautiful story to finish with. Thank you so much. Now, before we do wrap up, I would have one um, 
two final questions for you. One is just quickly about the incredible film that you interestingly made. It wasn't specifically about self-compassion, but it was specifically about connection, which, as you know, is the theme of this whole podcast and ways for us to cultivate connection. And Anna, could you talk just a little bit about the film? And I mean, it was a pretty, I remember knowing you at the time you were filming it and you were traveling the world doing this incredible project. Um, Just tell us a little bit about it. And then we'd love to hear a bit about how we can find you and um, offering. Okay, thanks, Liv. Yeah, so I made a film a few years ago with my husband, Tom. Um, It's called The Ubuntu Project. The Ubuntu is a word, it comes out of, it's sort of embedded in the many of the African cultures, the tribal cultures, but um, specifically around South Africa. And it translates in English, there's many translations, but the one that inspired me was I am because we are, or I am who I am because of who we all are. So it really just speaks to what we were talking about before, that common humanity, that shared human experience. And I learned about that word and that concept while I was traveling and doing some volunteer work in Kenya about 10 years ago. And it really inspired me in many ways. And I think probably at that time, I was in my late 20s and I probably had been living this very kind of lonely, isolated existence of feeling like, you know, all the feelings that I was having, I was the only one that was feeling them. And, um, and then I, you know, traveled to the other side of the world and I was connecting with these people who come from completely different backgrounds to me, um, living different lives, but just really touched by the experience of how easy it is to connect and to just be, to work together, to share together, to talk together, sharing stories and just the benefit of learning and being with people who yes are similar but also very different um and it just highlighted this concept to me of yeah we're all just human beings like we've all got something to share and um as I said it was really eye-opening and very inspiring to me and I thought wouldn't it be cool to share this with others and um so I came up with this, this idea to travel the world interview people ask them their stories, invite them to share their stories and then ask them a series of questions, um, things like what makes you smile, uh, what does freedom mean to you, what is your idea of love, to highlight this idea of common humanity and collate all the stories and interviews together to highlight that message. Um, And it was really a journey for me in that process as well, as I said, you know, to come to my own peace with my own connection to others and um yeah so so there is this film the ubuntu project which i yeah thank you for um asking me to speak about it yeah so if you google the ubuntu project um i'm in the process of setting up the website again but um it's on youtube um there's a facebook page as well so and i'd be happy to share some links if you would like to share them as well so that people can press the film yeah yeah i'll pop all the links in the show notes absolutely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and tell me um a little bit about how people can find you more generally you i know you run um, mindfulness courses you're a beautiful meditation teacher and yoga teacher so 
How can they find out more? No, about so it? my website, um, so my business is called Ubuntu Wellness. So obviously the inspiration stayed. Um, so my, yeah, ubuntuwellness.com.au is where you'll find all of my offerings. Um, Beautiful. And yeah. again, pop a link to that in the show notes so people can find it there. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Thank you so much, Anna. 